0: Alrighty, well we are back for episode 2. Episode 2 of season 2. Of season 2, yeah. yeah, We're, we're on our way. I tell you what, it's pretty exciting. I already changed how things look a little bit. <laughs> changed the studio around. Yeah. Ali, I hope you're happy. I have light, but now I think I have too much light, so I'm probably drowned out. <laughs> can't win. I can't. I really liked being able to look
1: out the window while we were talking last week, whereas now my back's the window, so... I'll have to stay focused more, I guess. Well,
0: now you can just watch the cat.
1: Yes, I am. I can see the cat from here and sitting up on the armchair like a person
0: <laughs> looking out the window. Yeah. 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 Well, he's not happy either. He likes to look out the window. Oh, does he? Yeah. Yeah. But, but, anyways, um, so today, kind of going off of uh, our conversation last week to a certain degree um, and how we're kind of unpacking your current series and the Sunday prior. Um, today we're going to talk about what you talk, kind of dove into last week, which is prayer and how, how prayer relates to and, and what part it has to play in us relating to God. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you see prayer? What role do you see it playing? Uh, it sound it seems like it's an essential one, obviously. Right. And so what role do you see it playing? um in us relating to god
1: yeah like i was telling our congregation that if we think of our soul as a garden just by a metaphor um anybody who plants a garden that's that thrives recognizes there's there's a certain way to do that that increases the health of the plants and the 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 productivity of the harvest And that's, you know, good soil and plenty of sunlight and water and, um, you know, protecting it from weeds and maybe some kind of fertilizer or something. They're just things you do to cultivate a healthy garden. And if you think of our soul that way, I think going back to the topic of design, God's designed our soul so our soul thrives best when there's a, a climate that's being cultivated and Um, just like good soil and plenty of water and the right sunlight. I think there's things that God has ordained that feed our soul. And when I say feed our soul, it's really about feeding our relationship with Jesus. And so um, there's probably two dozen things that are important pursuits or exercises for developing a healthy soul. We're just focusing on two of them in the context of this series that we're in. And so the first week we talked about the study of scripture, that it's a language the soul hears. And it does a work through faith that I can't even explain. Um, I don't, I can't explain the chemistry of how the living words of God somehow connect with our soul. But it does. And then... Um, Last Sunday, we were exploring the the second of those crucial um, pursuits or activities, and that's the practice of prayer. And um, I I think it's really critical to the relationship if we can yank it out of its kind of traditional understanding.
2: Mm.
1: And that's what I was really trying to get at in my last message with our congregation is let's uh, let's consider opening our minds up to some other ways to think about praying than the traditional bow your head close your eyes fold your hands and work through essentially your list of requests Mm, which mm -hmm. is how most people seem to practice prayer yeah and I get it. I'm not being critical of that, except I just think it's so much more than that. And, um, you know, I was, I was thinking on the way over here, you know, I'm just a guy who's, I've spent the last nearly 40 years now in, at some stage of studying the scriptures. I feel like I'm fairly disciplined at honoring the proper rules, the hermeneutics of how to study the scripture accurately. Uh, um but at the end of the day, I'm just a guy doing my best to try to understand what the scriptures have to say, and then doing my best to try to share it with people in a way that they could understand and that might be compelling for them to consider. But I'm just a guy, and so I guess at times I could be wrong. I mean, that's likely. Probably. Um, so some of what I'm proposing in this idea of prayer, I, I could be wrong, I could be wrong. But I'm looking at it from a couple of different perspectives that lead me at least to be interested in in inviting people come with me on the journey of thinking of prayer differently than we always have. And that's the bow your head, close your eyes, fold your hands, work through your requests sort of model for prayer that what I'm proposing, that it's it's much more of an ongoing conversation that you have with God. Mm. And so I was thinking about, you know, this idea in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Well, if we take the traditional model of prayer, then that means don't ever stop bowing your head, closing your eyes, folding your hands, and working through your request. Yeah. Because that would be in that model, that would be pray without ceasing. But the truth of the matter is you have to go to work and you have to feed the kids and you have to mow the lawn and you know there's there's a host of other things that life entails. So I can't really do that in an unceasing manner. Yeah. But if I think of prayer as this ongoing conversation that I have with God, then I can do that in an unceasing manner. I can do that anywhere any way, any time. And so it's not strange to think of praying in your car as a conversation with God. Now, I'm in traffic, so I can't close my eyes. I can't bow my head. I guess I could, but that would be incredibly dangerous. But why can't I drive my car and be in a conversation with God? Yeah. Um, why can't I be um, on my way to pick up the kids from school and... Enjoy a few minutes of a conversation with God. Um, You know, I have a practice. um, Whenever someone's made an appointment to come see me, typically like a a counseling appointment, um, our practice is our receptionist lets me know that they've arrived at the office out in the reception area. And then I don't know why, I, I always go out and greet them there and then walk back with them to my office. Well, it's my practice every time I get out of my chair to go out to the reception area to greet them, that short walk down the hallway, I pray.
2: Mm.
1: And it's a simple conversation that's like, God, I don't know what I'm about to walk into. I don't know what I'm going to hear or learn about what's going on in this person's life. But give me discernment, give me wisdom, give me a compassion and understanding of what it is that they share with me and and help me to serve them well. And that's, I didn't bow my head. I didn't close my eyes. I didn't fold my hands. I was making a request. I'm requesting wisdom and discernment. Um, But I think that's, that's the nature of what I'm exploring, is just anytime, anywhere, anyway, about anything, I can have this conversation with God. And part of what I was sharing Sunday is I think that ongoing conversation is a tether that keeps us connected to God. It keeps us in a communion with him that is about our dependence and that is about our need for his help and his guidance. And it is about um, how important he is and how um, valuable he is. And it's about Um, the priority that he is that I'm constantly thinking in terms of a relationship with him yeah of which I think prayer in that sense facilitates on a much more um, daily normal moment by moment way other than oh this is my time in the morning when I sit in my barca lounger in the living room with my notebook and i Bow my head and I close my eyes and I pray. Again, that is an expression of prayer. No, no criticism of that. I just, I'm inviting people, like I'm inviting myself, to just knock the walls out of that and think of something a bit broader.
0: Yeah, no, and that makes a lot of sense because I mean, even with, uh, like, say, my relationship with my wife. If I think this is this is kind of where it gets a little messy, I think. But don't be because uh, I'm a stickler for ha- the words but if I think to myself that um, like I want to be a good husband or um, I consider uh, what she means to me that will directly affect our relationship and my actions towards her and and so I guess in the same way the more that you talk to God and, the, and like how your example of you would pray before you go and greet that person and it's kind of like an opening yourself up to mm-hmm. uh, his will or his knowledge. Uh, essentially, subjugating yourself or putting yourself below, like saying, "Hey, I want your your priority to take uh, precedent or your will to take precedent. Yes.
1: Yeah, I, and that's that's a good description of what I'm what I'm exploring and inviting people to explore. Is this more? Um, consistent uh, sense of God's place in our life. Yeah. Because, I, you know, I, I have enough conversations with people about their spiritual journey that you listen long enough and the impression is about the only time they pray is at church in that formal, traditional bow your head, close your eyes kind of way and then they go throughout their whole week with little to no ongoing conversation with
0: god yeah
1: and you know you kind of move up the move along the continuum of spiritual growth yeah they may pray at church and they may pray a time or two during the week they may have you know a devotional time where they read their bible for a few moments and then pray for a few moments. But I'm I'm interested in all the other hours and okay, all, you're, yeah. you're all the like other uh, circumstances
0: and situations where a conversation with God could be helpful. So like to decompartmentalize yes. your your prayer life, essentially. Like don't stick it in that box at the end of the day or in the beginning of the day. yeah. But decompartmentalize it and let it spread throughout all of your day. Yes. Gotcha. In the same way that
1: if... If you and I, let's say we were going uh backpacking together for 3 days. Um we would always be aware of each other's presence on the trail and we'd be like, "Hey, look at that." And we'd be talking and you know, at night setting up camp, what what but we'd always be aware Wyatt's with me, Paul's with me, right? So we'd have conversation throughout that whole experience. Yeah. That's that's what I'm imagining,
0: that prayer is. So I think this is kind of like a weird line to walk, I guess. Um, and maybe not. Maybe I'm just wrong. But uh, I think like, for somebody who's kind of unfamiliar with, with uh, following Jesus or religion in general, um, I guess the idea of talking to somebody all the time because he's always with you is one odd. Okay. And then... Two, if you make it like an all the time thing, it's like if you make something all encompassing, it just kind of makes it, it. It 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 can make it cheap. You know what I'm saying? In that, like, okay, well, I think that we've done an okay. I think that the church kind of talks about, hey, you can talk to God all the time. Well, and and you don't have to, you know. Say Islam, they pray however many times a day in a particular direction, but they do that religiously. Um, whereas, a lot of the Christians who say who kind of talk about, well, I I can talk to God all the time; He's always with me, and all it's just God is everything in every department. Then mm-hmm. but you don't really see their their spiritual life having the same type of. Uh, I don't even know if structure is a good thing, but structure or um, they don't see it as a priority really. Do you know what I'm saying? I I think
1: I understand what you're saying. Um, When you first started that, I was thinking about, well, that doesn't work in the sense that if I do something all the time, it cheapens it. it. That's always a risk, but it can also be, the beauty of it, like yeah. your marriage, my marriage. Um, yes, it's something we do all the time. And if we're not careful, it can become boring or lifeless or, you know, um, whatever the words might be to mm-hmm. describe you no longer cherish or value it like it should. But if you're cultivating that relationship in the conversations that you have, then there's a real beauty to being in each other's company for long periods of, of time without it becoming less.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true, and I think a lot of that has to do with how you see the person you're communicating with. So, like, how you see God. Because if I, if I see God as almost like an equal to a certain degree, um, or just like a, a, a like a friend, like we were talking about last week. I might take that for granted more than I would if I realize that I'm talking to like the God of the universe, or I have access to him all the time. Right. Um, so I guess that was kind of the, the point I was getting at. I, I know when you talked about on Sunday, like the alignment is a big is a big part of this. And so, what what do you mean whenever you say like prayer? What what do you mean whenever you say that prayer plays a part in alignment?
1: Yeah so I'm trying to distinguish I'm trying to draw a contrast between praying for answers and praying for alignment. And again going back to the more traditional way that people think of prayer is they're praying for answers. God, I need help. God, I want this. God, watch over. God, do this. And we're looking for God to hand back to us what it is that we ask. Yeah. Um, alignment is a whole different proposition. It's it's not coming to God to get something from him. It's coming to God to give him something, to give him me, to give him my, my will, which can be stubborn. My stubborn will wants, wants him to do these things for me. But what if I made prayer about me bringing myself and in humility and in surrender saying god whatever i want i relinquish to what you want because i'm trusting that your will your way will be far better than whatever i might ask and so in our message sunday you know i was talking about we have the we have the disciples come to jesus and ask him will you teach us to pray and he gives them the template of what we know is the Lord's Prayer. And that's that's great instruction. I think there's a lot of valuable things that we can learn from that. But I think even more instructive about how prayer works is to look at Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's truly in anguish about anticipating what's about to unfold. Mm. And so he says, God, if, Father, if, if there's any other way that we can accomplish the redemption of mankind, I'm all ears because if we can do this another way, I don't have to endure what I'm about to suffer. But he says, not my will, not my will, but your will be done. I surrender, I'm offering myself in alignment to whatever, whatever it is that you have me or for what you want to accomplish through me and i I, again i could be wrong but i don't know that many people pray that way
0: yeah probably not
1: and so it's a whole new ball game when you start trying to discipline yourself to pray that way so here's here's a here's like a real life example of and i've been in this situation many times so somebody comes to me and in all the sincerity in the world they they are either suffering from cancer or somebody they love is suffering from cancer and the diagnosis is serious and the illness is extreme and you know all the statistics point to the fact that they're not going to live much longer and so what are they asking they're praying would you pray that They would be healed. Would you pray that their cancer goes away? And you know what? I absolutely believe that that could happen. God could could do that. I have no doubt that he's capable of doing that. I just don't have any assurance that that's what he will do. Yeah. And so I have found it um, kind of frustrating at times to... To create unrealistic expectations either for them or for myself like yeah let's trust that God's going to heal them and then three weeks later we get another doctor's report and it's worse it doesn't look like our request is going to be met so I'm trying to I'm trying to pray differently about those situations I'm trying to say God we trust you with this person's life and whatever you may have by way of how you're going to tell their story. So would you give us the wisdom and discernment to know how best to serve and support them in whatever it is that is before them? Yeah. So that's just a different request because, you know, I've, I've sat with people and they're looking at you like, no, you have to trust with me that they're going to be healed. And I'm going... I can't I can't do that because I've I've been a pastor for 40 year, 35 years. I've watched a lot of people die from cancer. I've I've seen a few that have been given, you know, new years, but most of them that's not been the story. So it's it's me, it's my will that wants them to be healed. Yeah. But God has a completely different will regarding that matter, and he has want something different that he wants to accomplish, and he may best accomplish that through their loss. But we can't see that. We we don't know how to navigate that because we don't have his perspective. We're, we're not infinite in our, in our ability to see like he is. So, again, I, I'm just trying to learn if somebody asked me to pray for their husband who's dying of cancer, I'm trying to figure out what does that prayer sound like when it says, if there's any other way that we can do this, um, I'm all ears, but not my will, but your will
0: be done. Yeah. And it's weird because in the scriptures you you see instances where, I don't think that this phrase is appropriate, but God seems to change his mind, right? Like um, Abraham, he's saying, well, hey, if this, if regarding Jericho, if this many righteous people live there, will you not destroy it? Because God came out and said, well, I'm just going to destroy it. And Abraham was like, oh, hold your horses. <laughs> and he's like, if 50 live there, and then he's like, 40, 30, and then there's only one. It, granted, I guess then you could say, well... God ended up destroying it anyways, but perhaps that one person was saved because of Abraham. Right. So it's a weird, it's like a weird line to cross, especially whenever you get into um, God's will and even asking. I guess I've I've almost even become kind of cynical to it, maybe. Cynical to what? Me being cynical, imagine that. (laughs) Um, To, like, I, I have a hard time asking for things, praying for things to turn out a different way. Like I want them to, but I I feel, I'm just like, well, I mean, I hope so. And I I hope that God could make it happen another way, but I'm going to have a hard time asking for it too.
1: Yeah, and I was sharing that at the top of the message is my own frustrations and doubts and cynicism about prayer because of my own experience of Mm. what I've seen and what I've, you know, had happen in my life. And so... Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, I know he can. I just have no idea if he will. Yeah. So then how do I pray in that direction? How do I, with confidence, say, God, I I believe that you could take cancer away and heal that person like they've never had it. You could do that this second. Mm. I just don't know if you will. So asking for it seems somewhat presumptuous. So what should I be asking for that's of greater interest to me? What's the not my will but your will be done
0: nature of the prayer I'm praying? I think I've kind of started to look at it using like Noah and the ark as like a metaphor. It's like, well, I sure hope that the rain or the flood doesn't come. But if it does, I hope that you can provide me an ark to weather it. You know what I'm saying? Uh Uh-huh. So I find myself even praying that. It's like, hey, if this is going to get bad, which it seems like it might, God, I hope that you help me get through it in whatever way you see fit. Yeah, so the
1: parallel in my life has been to learn to pray, God, give me the wisdom and the discernment to know how best to trust you in what's about to unfold.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I pray a lot for God, give me the faith to trust you when this gets really crappy this gets really hard because the nature of my nature is you know kind of throw a hissy fit because i didn't get what i wanted so then i'm i'm mad at god or i'm doubting god or i'm like this is a wasted time this is like talking to this the wall so i'm not even gonna bother that's not an expression of faith so i'm learning to pray more like god this doesn't look good What I'm sensing could unfold in the situation. So will you give me the faith to trust you through it so that I don't get rocked and end up getting mad or throwing my little passive aggressive temper tantrum because I didn't get what I wanted and life got hard. Give me the faith to trust you that I come out on the other end going, yeah, I weathered that well. Mm. I trusted God through that. And that's, that is exactly what we see happen over the next 48 hours in the life of Jesus after he prays that prayer. He weathers that well. You know, Peter talks about as a sheep led to the slaughter, yet he opened not his mouth. Yeah. He went into it with a willing spirit of recognizing this was God's great game plan to secure redemption for mankind what's Hebrew tells us, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. That's a, that's all, I think, a reflection of he went into that, resigned, I'm going to do what God designs best, or God deems best, and that looks like I'm going to be tortured, and I'm going to be tried unjustly, and I'm going to be whipped and beaten and then I'm going to be hung on a cross and crucified. And he, he resigned. Not resigned as in a resignation. He just gave himself to God's will, his father's will, because he trusted that his father had a bigger, better plan. Yeah. And I guess I, I guess what I'm, for myself and for those that I have influence with, I'm simply inviting us to explore that. Um, We just don't typically do well when God doesn't give us what we want.
0: I think too. um, I read this book called "The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self." Yeah, which you should read. Yes, Um, we 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 held each other that like November to read, and you finished it, and I haven't even started. Yes, (laughs) yes. Now I've started this book called "Biblical Critical Theory," so we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm reading it critically, but (laughs) to say the least, but anyways, um, I feel like it's even harder today because like the point that that book was making was how, you know, before just really the last hundred years, people were subject to, at the very least nature, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now we can, we pretty much have a good control how to avoid dying to nature. In fact, most of us are. At least in America, a lot of us are uh, obese and we have everything we need and we can be taken care of. And um, there's not, we're not going to die from starvation and we're probably not going to die from uh, the weather or other natural events. But now, and and so that's called, that causes in us this, um, we don't like not being able to control things or get exactly what we want, especially with this instant gratification. Uh, that's a big part of our culture now, social media, Amazon. Um, that's my bugaboo, but that's a big piece of it because a lot of the time we go to God, wanting Him not only for wanting Him to give us what we want, but also wanting Him to do it on our timeline. Yeah. So it's what like we want
1: to is we're spoiled.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're spoiled. We're just brats sometimes, a lot and, of the time.
1: And so, if you take if you take the the study, the history of children being spoiled who's doing that it's a parent who's catering to their every their child's every whim so if you have a if you have a a historical model for that that's exactly how a lot of people think about god oh he's my father in heaven and what i've known about my parents is they give me whatever i want so in my spoiled attitude mm. i come to god demanding hey this is what i want and i'm really disappointed in you that i didn't get it yesterday like i didn't get one hour delivery because i i asked you really sincerely i asked you very passionately that you give me this thing and you didn't and so now i'm mad at you i'm i'm firing off the letter of you know complaint to to the customer service department because i i didn't get the kind of service it's you're exactly right, and I think it is kind of unique to Americans. We, we're spoiled, and we're spoiled through and through so that it comes out in our, our spiritual journey by the way we treat God in the way that we presume upon him in prayer, thinking He's just the celestial vending machine. I pull the lever. I should get what I want.
0: Yeah, and a lot of, and this is throughout history, but a lot of, people within the church or, or different um, denominations have made it about a, like you kind of mentioned this earlier, about a, a like a faith issue. Well, if you have enough faith, then you'll get this, or God will answer you with this, or that snake won't bite you when you pick it up. Because yep. um, some people have done some weird stuff like that. <laughs> and so that that's a really pernicious thing that I'm sure people— you don't really see a lot of it. I don't hear a lot of young people complaining about that about when it comes to the church, but older people I've heard kind of complain about that, and that um, might be a
1: generational thing about how one generation grows up. Yeah, and um, what their historical experience teaches them about how they view their world.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so it can be a very pernicious, a pernicious thing to say or to teach. That if you will, if you just have enough faith, it'll be this. Because then, whenever you are hit with that storm or that cancer or whatever it is, well, then you feel like you're being punished. It's the The book of Job is really, really. Yeah. Like, I think it's very insightful in this. I think there's all kinds of things in that book, but um, yeah, there's
1: lots in that book. But kind of one of the fundamental threads is, you know, Job's what three friends. They do not have a faith in God that they they accuse God of wrong for what Job is suffering, and Job's trying to hold the line like, no, it doesn't matter if if I suffer, I still trust God. And, you know, we live in this very anti-non-Christian society, and so whenever Christians go through difficult times... We have a world that's very quick to point their finger and go, see, your, your God thing doesn't work because your husband got cancer and died. What kind of God lets that happen? Yeah. It just shows this huge misunderstanding of who God is and how he operates and what faith is about. And, and so, you know, at the end of the day, this becomes this very personal resolve that, whether my world understands it or not, whether my best friends understand whether my spouse understands it or not, this is how I proceed in trusting God through what
0: doesn't make sense. Yeah, or even whether I understand it or not. Sometimes I think that's a big part of it. Because, I mean, if you're going to pray all the time, there's going to be times where you just don't feel connected. Like you made a point about how prayer is a tether to God. And there's definitely times whenever I pray where I just... I feel far, or I feel, like I said last week, I feel like I'm just thinking at the idea of God.
1: Yeah, so the operative word there is feel. Yeah, well, that's part of... Yeah, so (laughs) I have these feelings that God's far, God's disinterested, or I'm not connecting. I have these feelings that, you know, I've, I've done something wrong, so now God's just not listening to me, or God's mad at me so he's not talking to me right now or whatever kind of behavioral kind of thing we attach to that but the truth is what faith would tell us is he's never mad at you he's never leaves you he never is not listening so when my feeling is that he's far or he's disinterested or he's mad that has to be confronted by faith. Mm. And say, Paul, no, that's a lie. Don't succumb to that lie because that's going to lead you to a place that isn't good and healthy for your soul. That's going to make you disappointed and disillusioned with God. That's not a sign of trust. So I feel a certain way. I have to remind myself, okay, this isn't about feeling. This is about faith. The faith is that God's right here. And I have to bring myself back to that reminder and And so, you know, I'm I love authenticity and love honesty. So that's those are the times I go, God, you tell me you're right here, but you feel really far away right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Help me with that. Help me to trust that no, you're here. So that's just that being honest and open about where I am in the moment to say, my feelings are wanting to override my faith right now, so help me with that and that that sounds more like conversation than you know the vending machine sort of approach to things
0: yeah so uh, how would you kind of going back to like what I said last week about how or, or the man the imaginary friend example that you talked about week before last, um and then I said, yeah, I just feel like it's I feel like people could see it as just thinking at the idea of God right. in my head. How would you distinguish what prayer actually is and, and that, um, I guess, idea of it? Just, I think that, that would be helpful for people to kind of understand because there's still going to be people listening perhaps that are like, I don't understand the difference between praying and just thinking at God.
1: Yeah, so it goes back to faith. Faith, again, is truths that we trust to be true. So the truth that I trust to be true is that God exists, God is ever-present, God cares, God hears, and you could name 15 more things. These are truths that I trust and live my life accordingly. So if you're talking with a person who doesn't embrace those truths, they don't have that faith. They have a different faith. They don't trust those truths to be true. Then they can't understand that. And it ends up sounding like your pretend friend.
2: Mm.
1: You're just talking to yourself. Weird people do that. You're just, you're just making stuff up that, you know, that's the whole God is a crutch. It's just a thing you, fantasize to be true as a way to sort of you know get through life it's not it isn't that way for me i do believe that god is real and i believe that he's ever present he's he's as much right here at this table as you and i are so it's not odd for me to talk to him but that's that all comes back to faith yeah and and you know, I'm on this kick right now trying to get people to understand. Everybody has a faith. Mm-hmm. They have a set of truths they trust to be true. And one person, their truths that they trust says either God's not real or God's not actively involved in my life. He's not somebody I can know as a personal being. Those are their truths that they are trusting And so then they live accordingly. So then if I talk about having a relationship with God and being on speaking terms with him, that does sound odd. But it doesn't sound odd to me, and it doesn't sound odd to somebody else who shares the same truth.
0: Yeah. There's some presuppositions that you kind of have to accept before you can even get into the... Uh before you even likely before you, you can even understand the reality of what prayer is. Exactly. Exactly. But
1: everybody's life is built on a set of presuppositions. It's called a worldview. Things that they assume to be reality or to be true. And a Christian is simply somebody who's allowed some new categories to inform their presuppositions namely the existence of a, a an infinite being named God who is unlimited in his power. Yeah. And his and his place. I mean, he he's everywhere. And so that makes a huge difference in how you go about living your life, but
0: I think that's the invitation of
1: the scriptures.
0: I really liked the garden analogy that you started out with because I'm confident that and I've and I can even I think I've even used this as a challenge but I'm confident that the way and this I mean, I won't veer, the way that um, the way that God instructs us to live is the best practice and strategy or method to in this live your life but going along with the allergy, to tend the garden um, there's there's good gardeners and there's bad gardeners and they're very easily distinguished. Right, okay. and there's there's some essential things you got to do, no matter what the plant is. Um, and and that's kind of what that worldview is. And I've definitely seen. I've challenged people before, like, "Hey, this might seem silly, but try it on your try." Tri- Try tending your garden this way and see what happens. Um, and then it can kind of get weird with some, I guess, other Christians where they're just like, well, it's not about making your life better. And it's like, well, I know I'm not talking about wealth, but just right how you feel in your life. And so um, yeah, I think that analogy is very apt because it's very practical, especially in a culture where, well, there is no right answer or right um, way to look at things yeah
1: so in my view that's that's the whole discussion of wisdom wisdom was ordained by god to be a way to increase the quality of your life not the quantity of your life the quality of your life so it's wise to be wise And using wisdom when it comes to your finances or your relationships or your physical body or sexuality, using wisdom in those arenas of your life will lead to a better quality of life. You won't live with the same amounts of regrets and consequences and backwash that the foolish person lives with. And so, you know, I think in some regards, Christians have been making this appeal for centuries. Not everybody's buying it, but it's better to be a Christian because in following Jesus, you're invited to a life of wisdom. And wisdom improves the quality
0: of your life. It's a really offensive thing you just said. <laughs> better exactly. watch yourself there. You're going to get us canceled. We just got on YouTube. <laughs> we're only in our second we're season. We're only in our second and episode.
1: We're risking getting canceled um yeah you know i've i've shared on here before with and with you as a big fan of the book of proverbs it's this big contrast between a wise life and a foolish life and over and over again the way it talks about wisdom and the illustrations it provides the wise person lives a better life he has less to fear he enjoys more of the benefits and the privilege. Of living according to God's design. Mm. And the fool ignores it. And then they live in the backwash of a lot of lousy choices. And so the fool's often picking up the pieces or, you know, paying the piper for the foolish things that they do. And the whole time God's saying, You could have trusted me. Yeah. Because what I was offering you was better,
0: because it was wiser. Well, I've always appreciated that you have a love for Proverbs because it makes things more practical. Even whenever it comes to this prayer conversation, it makes it much more practical than... Because um, you're not feelings-oriented. And people need pract- practicality in their life because er- everything else is telling them to just go inside their head. But the wisdom of how you live and, the, and how practical that can be is very helpful. At least to me it is. I think for a lot of people. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, I, I do a little bit of woodworking. I'm starting to get into it. So there's a wise way to operate a table saw and there's a foolish way to operate it. Mm. And the fool or foolishly operating a table saw, you, you may, you know, outwit the statistics for a while, but if you're foolish long enough, you're going to lose a finger
0: or two. Yeah, I've always said that reality has a way of snapping back into place. <laughs> it's like you can you can go you can skirt outside the lines, but you're going to get whopped back
1: one yeah. day or another. And that's that's the whole premise of the fool is no, I can beat the odds. I'll be the exception. It won't happen to me. And they you know they yeah. live enough life where they get away with it. But in the background is God's abiding word, and He'll He's. You know, I I don't think God's, you know, smirking in the background like, your day's coming, you keep being foolish, and it's all going to catch up with you. And because he knows that's the way he designed the world. And there's numerous illustrations in the book of Proverbs of the fool thinking he's outsmarting the system. Mm. And getting away with it and sort of, you know, he gets cocky. He's like, yeah, see, look, I, I get to live the way I want and do what I want. And then the day comes where his luck runs out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that happens a lot in, I've seen that happen a lot with friends in high school and in college, especially in college. Um, they live a certain way. And if you don't go along with it, and I'm not saying it's perfect, but if you don't go along with it all the time, even if you just abstain and, and if you're younger or anybody, any, everybody knows what I'm talking about, you'll get pressured or you get made fun of. Yeah. Um, but then all of a sudden, like I've seen there's too many people even from my grade or grades under me, that have died in drunk driving accidents, or, and I'm not saying that's God doing that to no, them. No I that, is, that is reality, it's reality snapping back into place.
1: Yeah, you know when I was when I was a teenager. So we're talking, you know, uh, late seventies, early eighties, and I, it's probably not any different. Maybe it's just because I was a teenager and now I was aware. But the the, the social pressure to drink mm. was huge, and so many friends I knew they were doing everything they could to. You know, steal a keg or buy a keg or, you know, find a keg and find a six-pack and, you know, do the partying.
0: So when you were a teen, you said? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I don't, I, it wasn't just the fact that I was raised the the way I was, but I always distrusted alcohol. I I didn't like the feeling of, I, did, I didn't like the feeling of being out of control when I knew that that could do that to me. So in the situations where the offer was made or the the temptation was there I was just never attracted to it. And I think I don't want to make this more than it was, but that was that was a spirit of wisdom in my life is yeah. I just don't want to go there cuz I don't know that I might be the rare exception and I become an alcoholic cuz yeah. I can't handle it. I I don't I don't want to I don't want to place that bet. Now that I'm an adult and I'm a pastor and I work with a lot of people, I see it over and over and over and over again of people who have suffered enormous consequences because they chose to start drinking. And I'm talking about, you know, uh, DUIs, and that's on their record, of being arrested, Um I'm talking about marriages being blown up or relationships spoiled talking about doing and saying dumb things at parties that end up ruining or at least um dinging their reputation in a community. I'm like, why I I had no interest in living like that. Yeah. And I that's the difference between wisdom and foolishness and that, that's not I'm not trying to say more than it it should it's just that that's the truth of god's word um, proverbs says wine is a mocker it will in fact make fun of you there's going to come a point where it's going to come back and you're going to be the one who's laughed at because wisdom's going to laugh at you proverbs one tells us that wisdom will laugh at your calamity because you chose to ignore her mm. and so um then uh, you can extrapolate the principle again this sounds so preacher-like but you know wine is a mocker marijuana is a mocker pornography is a mocker um cheating is a mocker um uh betting and um gambling is a mocker They, they all have a way of coming back and the backwash of consequences end up complicating your life. And the whole time, God's offered out, there's a wiser way to live. You can avoid these sorts of things and their moral risk, and you don't have to end up paying the consequences. Yeah. And, you know, in our society now, in contemporary society, it's probably been true for all of society, there's always the the majority who laughs at the person who, going to you know fly the straight and narrow oh you're such a party pooper and you don't have any fun and you don't know what you're missing and and the wise person according to proverbs the wise person is the one who just walks with their head held high like yep i'm the party pooper yep i'm not having any fun yep uh, you know all the all the things but they live with peace and they live with joy and they're not picking up the pieces of lousy choices. And their life is what? It's better. Yeah. It's better quality of life because they chose to go the wise route.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've had to learn the hard way with some of that. Um, for instance, if you think that I'm argumentative now, get like just enough whiskey in me, <laughs> and I will argue anyone about anything. Um, not that I got I don't get like drunk drunk, yeah, but some you know. kind of a buzz yeah. that takes off the edge, right? Yeah, and yeah. so um that complicated some relationships with the girlfriends of my friends, unsurprisingly. Oh. But um <laughs> and nobody argues with them. And then I, nobody argues with them, and then I come along and I'm like, <laughs> I'll argue with you. <laughs> but uh but yeah, no, my it, people call it your conscience, but I think that um that's, uh, I know whenever I'm, and this comes from like having a worldview and like, and and having uh, values or uh, the kind of person that you want to be. And so whenever you fail at that, your conscience, you know, lays heavy on you. Um, but I think that that's a really big piece of actually how God communicates with me, kind of pulling this back to prayer. Um, a lot of times it's not, flowers and roses but a lot of the times it's uh, it's not necessarily guilt but well maybe it is guilt guilt isn't necessarily negative but i he tells me whenever i've messed up you know what i'm saying like uh-huh. you know you know in the back of your head like ooh shouldn't have said that and it'll drive me nuts until i correct it
1: <laughs> so that's that's one of two things that's that's a biblically informed conscience mm-hmm. doing what god designed it to do or that's the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit, who's convicting you and, you know, really he's leading you. Wyatt, that was a really thoughtless thing to say, you should go back and repair that. Yeah. It, and it could be one one or the other or a combination of both. I actually am curious that um, the conscience is sort of the touch point by which the Holy Spirit prompts us to action. I I think God created us with a conscience because he's the God of design and it was going to be the conscience that the spirit of God uses to do what he does. And yes, the conscience can become seared. We can become so depraved that our conscience doesn't work. So what does that mean? That means the spirit of God isn't isn't allowed to have influence.
0: Yeah, and that's a big pill for some people to swallow, but <laughs> that 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 people could be at that state. A lot of Christians have problems with that. Um, I agree, though. Yeah. Well, and I think that makes sense. I mean, have you ever tried really connecting with, like, at a, on a relationship level, connecting with a cat or a dog? Doesn't work very well. You love them, but you're not having conversations with them. You're not. Well, Allie tells the careful, cat, careful. Maybe with dogs. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> Allie does talk to the cat. Um, sorry, but uh, <laughs> she, she does. He just outed her on on our podcast that yeah. she talks to her cats. Yeah, and herself. So <laughs> I guess it's probably better with the cat. But. A co- you have to be con- you have to have consciousness to be able to connect on that level is all the point I was saying so I agree with you long story short I outed my wife for no reason other than to say i agree <laughs> well this will this will be an interesting story to come back to and say how'd
1: that go how'd that work for you out and your wife on our podcast um yeah so, again not to sound like the preacher <coughs> uh but I'm the preacher, right? Or I'm a preacher. Um, Much of what we're seeing in our society and the extremes to which it is going is proof of a seared conscience. Mm. People living with no regard for God and his place in their life. Romans, like we talked last week, Romans calls it, They've exchanged the truth for a lie. And so anything goes and anything is going or just watching the boundaries be pushed to places we never thought it could go.
0: Well, we all predicted it. We were told we were crazy. And then, you know, just give it like two years (laughs) or six months. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. But that in my mind, culturally or socially, that's, that's the evidence of consciences being so um so rusted, so corroded that there's no there's no moral sensitivity. And it's it. a slow drift. It can be a
0: slow drift for people. It begins as a slow drift, but then it gains speed. Yeah. Yeah, once you get in there. Yeah. But and that's kinda what and you and I've talked about this before, but it's actually kinda it's a scary thing because like I'm even seeing it and here we go, taking a right turn, but um, penetrate a lot of the church and Christians and stuff um, because it's just what society thinks. Like it's just kind of like, it's just held and accepted as true. And so, but nobody even realizes that it goes against God's word. It goes against his truth. Um, So then whenever they hear it, they oftentimes act uh They don't react well. But, but it happens without them even knowing it. Like a lot of the times we... People who... Do, on both sides, they can demonize the other side like they're willfully doing this. Right. And I think the majority of people don't even realize... Maybe not... Uh, I think a good portion of people don't even realize that they're on that road.
1: Yeah, because, you know, and I, this isn't me just spouting off as far as... There's proof... There's like statistical proof. The Church of America over the last 25 years is largely biblically illiterate. They don't really know the scriptures. They don't really know the truth of God's word. So then when society um, makes its choices, they don't have the biblical discernment to see what's happening. Mm. And so without a a good understanding of the truth of God's word, then they're suckers for anything that's popular or sounds. Here's here's the big trend these days is anything that sounds like justice. We'll chase after it because, I mean, who doesn't want to be just? But oftentimes justice isn't in fact true justice. It's victimology, it's ideology, it's all these... Kind of agenda items but it's not true justice but if you're not discerning to that then you just get swallowed up in the in the popular wave and so a church that's failing to teach people the truth of god's word often churches in contemporary society they avoid the hard truth because they don't want to make anyone mad or uncomfortable so the church isn't getting a diet of the truth, therefore, it's not discerning when it hears a lie, and um, I, I think we're just seeing that. Um, I was thinking about this a number of months ago, and I think I shared this in a message one Sunday. When I when I kind of happened on this illustration, it just it it made so much sense to me. So if I'm standing. In the center of the highway, here in the center of San Antonio, I-10, which is one of the major highways here in San Antonio, for all of our international guests. I just have to explain that. Well, your mom's (laughs) been down here. (laughs) So um, if I face east on I-10, I can't see Houston from here. It's three hours away. and There's a lot of buildings and twists and turns between here and Houston. And if I turn west on I-10, I can't see El Paso. It's six weeks away. It's like six hours away. And a lot of, you know, a lot of Texas between San Antonio and El Paso. But here's what I know for sure. If I get in a car and I drive for three hours east, I will come to Houston because that's where the road goes. Yeah. And if I get in a car and travel for six, seven hours west i will end up in el paso because that's where the road goes and what i'm seeing in our culture and our society is we're on roads that lead to places and we may not be there right now but stay on that road and we will end up in those places Mm. and so i'm looking at a number of social issues that are just getting ramrodded um in society right now and everybody's screaming oh it's the right thing to do it's the best thing to do it's the fair thing to do and i go well stay on that road and it'll take us to places that we can't even fathom that a society would do that unless we look back in history and go let's go back 50 some years to nazi germany What happened there started much earlier on a road that people would have said, oh, that'll never happen. We'll never exterminate 6 million people because we think they're less than human. Well, no, not at one time. You wouldn't have ever thought that, but you kept traveling the road and the propaganda kept advancing this this idea, this sentiment, this understanding of things, and therefore, you ended up in the place that you never could have imagined. So, I, I look at I look at censorship, I look at abortion, I look at the whole transgender thing. Um, I go, stay on that road long enough, and we are going to, as the
0: scriptures say, we're going to reap the whirlwind. Well, on the bright side, there there's <laughs> on really the bright side. Well, it's not. That this is this is uh, that was sarcasm. But uh, on the bright side, there's really only one big step of uh, things to be normalized that can even be taken, and they're jogging their way to it. Um, but there's not a whole lot. I don't even know what the next thing would be. It's like if we're not in El Paso, we ain't far from it.
1: <laughs> it's it's around the corner.
0: Yeah. And I mean, even in people probably listen, people listening to this, I don't know who they are, uh, like you say, your mom and mine, but just to give them an idea, like there were, there's two uh, private Christian schools in Bernie and they hit a, they got a bunch of backlash for putting out a statement that basically said, Hey, we believe that God created men and women. A bunch of backlash. Yeah. Yeah. In Bernie in Texas. (laughs) Right. In the bubble. Yeah. In the bubble. Yeah. And, uh, which is, just I mean, it doesn't, nothing surprises me really at that point at this point, but, um, just to kind of give an idea of the slow, the, the drift and how people don't even realize like it's happening in, uh, Texas where, yeah,
1: there's this perception that
0: we're
1: much further, you know, toward a conservative side of things, but
0: yeah. And that's, that's, uh, ideologically, not necessarily, or morally conservative, not necessarily political, but also political.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and so it's not a, if you take a prophetic view of the truth of Scripture, I'm not even talking about the prophecy of Scripture. If you take a prophetic view of the truth of Scripture, on one level, it shouldn't surprise us because... The scripture has been speaking to the, the moral decline of society because of the impact of sin um, since it was written. And we're just watching it come true. You know, it's funny if you read certain parts of the, certainly of the Old Testament, if you also read certain parts of the New Testament and you're reading about the first century and you know something about you know the civilization of, let's say, Rome or Babylon, um, we know enough. We we read about some of the stuff that they were into, and you're like, "Oh wow, that's awful." Well, that same same stuff is unfolding. Just you know, a different expression of it. Same stuff is unfolding in the 21st century,
0: In evolved form because technology's allowed us to go further. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, it's just that much more rampant. So, um,
0: back to prayer. Best be praying. (laughs) (laughs) Things are bad. Best be praying. (laughs) Best be praying. Yeah, uh,
1: you know, I guess that's another really interesting discussion of prayer is praying, you know, with hope and praying with faith and praying for joy and praying for gratefulness, Uh, praying in a spirit of gratefulness is what, provides protection from our soul being overwhelmed with the implications of what's unfolding around us. Um, I love it in Philippians 4, Paul says, um, you know, don't be anxious about anything. Yeah. Anything financial, anything political, anything moral, anything, you know, just name the categories. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything... Let your request be made known to God with thanksgiving. And I, you know, of all the sermons on the first couple lines of that, the part of it that I think is the real key is with thanksgiving. Because it's in a spirit of gratitude that I believe the soul was protected from the negative, overwhelming crush of what's going on around us, because our faith rests in God. Yeah, and He provides and He protects. And the truth of the matter is, um, there's a hope that at some point He will return and we will be delivered from the, you know, the tsunami of society's choices, and we find there's some comfort in that and we find some peace in that. And so I I think that too can be a part of the conversation is God. Thank you. Thank you for the hope I have. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my church. All these ways that we find the positive and um, hopeful thing to look for in an otherwise dire situation.
0: Yeah, well, and like for myself, and this goes for every Christian or every follower of Jesus, is that like we have a very high calling of being lights to the world, mm-hmm. which is it's a big responsibility. But man, it I can't think of a better reason to live. Like, um, that's a very good fight to fight. Um, the good fight, right? That's probably, mm-hmm. like, probably why they call it that. But, yeah, like, I can even tell in myself it's <laughs> this was probably the case for every time in history, but, like, I was made a certain way, and I've found different ways that my personality and my strengths and my weaknesses are, are very uh, well-suited for the time, um, mm-hmm. and it's exciting. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. There's bad things going on, but, like, all of us were called to be a light, And that's a very, very awesome um, project to be a part of. Yeah, that's what I would call living with purpose. Yeah. Hmm,
1: design. God designed us to live our lives a certain way, and that is according to purpose. And when we get plugged into what the right purpose is, namely God's purpose for our life then we live with meaning and we live with intentionality and and we live with courage. And, you know, part of my purpose is to be a light to my world, to have an influence in the lives of, you know, the big picture is to have an influence in the lives of people who are perishing and out of love and compassion for them to speak truth with the hope that, the truth will set them free. Um, you know, uh, so I recently delivered a message that had some hard truth to it. It was uncomfortable.
2: <laughs>
1: I, was, I was talking through Romans 1. And after the service, uh, a person, I'll, I'll leave oh, identities obscure as much as I can. I hope I don't slip. But a person came up to me afterwards and they were very upset about what I had said. They felt like it was mean. They felt like it was unloving. And they had some specific reasons why related to um, some people in their life. To the point that they said if one of those people had been at church that morning Knowing that they're suicidal because of this journey they're on, they said to me, "I think they would have gone home and committed suicide, and that mm-hmm. would have been on you." And I'm like, oh, "That's a that's a burden to bear." Um, Did you blame Paul? Other Paul, the other Paul? Yeah, you
0: read Romans one. Yeah, was one you yeah. look no, like no, it. you got
1: Paul's mixed up. <laughs> that's Paul the apostle. Um, No, but one of the responses that I said to them was, part of my faith informs me that the truth shall set you free. So my hope is as hard as the truth may be to hear, my faith is that God might use that truth to set someone free from the shackles of the sin that they're living in. Mm. So I don't take any glory in being the one who says the hard things. But at the end of the day, it is an act of love to try to wave someone down about the danger they're in. And what I'm seeing in the church is that as Christians, again, going back to not being biblically informed to the degree they should be and therefore being kind of influenced along the lines that they are, um, Christians are mistaking what love looks like. And we think oftentimes love is just telling people what they want to hear, and they're leaving their friends and their family in eternal danger. For the sake of, you know, being liked or being, you know, popular, and I, I don't want to not be liked, but I also don't want to see my friends perish because I was afraid to speak up. And what's happening is the church is being intimidated into silence, mm-hmm. rather than courageously standing up for the truth of the gospel, and. I just had lunch with a gentleman, um, and we were talking a little bit about this. And I was saying, you know, on a Sunday morning, I live in this tension as the teacher. Uh, we have a wonderful population of people at Sybil Creek who aren't Christians; they're seekers, they're investigating, they're exploring. So I want to I want to share truth with them. I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be, you know, aggressive. I want to be honest, humble with it. I want to speak the truth. I want them to keep coming back to explore that truth. So, you know, I'm always, I call it the dance. I'm always trying to figure out how to deliver hard truth in a, you know, sensitive kind of way without backing away from what's hard to hear. So I got i got that audience And then I have an audience of, you know, devoted followers of Jesus who attend Cibolo Cibolo Creek, and I need to serve them too. And one of the ways that I'm feeling like it's necessary for me to serve them is by building their confidence in the truth, the timeless truth of God's word while living in a society that's doing everything to run them out of town. Yeah. To squelch to squelch their voice from, you know, the square, the public square of communication and and dialogue. And so I see Christians shrinking back, afraid to speak into the situations because of all the triggers and all the canceling and all the things that could happen. And I'm trying to, you know, while I'm trying to serve the truth to my seeking friends, I'm also trying to build the confidence of, followers of Jesus say don't shrink back you stand up for the truth of the gospel as unpopular as it is as inconvenient as it can be as uncomfortable as it is stand up for it because well I could name five reasons but one of the reasons is because we're stewards of the gospel and someday we'll answer before our heavenly father like what did we do with it and i don't want to be the one who says well i didn't do anything with it I buried it in the ground because I was afraid i'd get I'd lose my job or my friends wouldn't like me, and that's, that's poor stewardship. Yeah. And then a host of other reasons, not to mention, it'll be interesting in heaven, what awareness will I have of friends and family that I refuse to engage because, with the gospel that I didn't do nearly enough to help
0: rescue them from perishing? We better get some kind of end score. Like, a rap sheet on how we did. That's We're all going to be so curious. Be like, hey, what could have happened? What could have And happened? what, yeah, what did I do wrong? And then score. Wyatt Marchant, uh, you got a
1: 3,046.
0: Paul Wilson, you got three. I'd like to see all the, like, uh, little instances. This is, oh, boy, I'm cutting you off so hard. But the, all the little instances where it's like, if you had left 30 seconds earlier, you'd be dead. And it's like, oh, wow. Wow. Sorry. wow that's a huge turn
1: yeah it's a noggin i like the way your noggin works um yeah so prayer what a interesting concept that i'm inviting people to simply would you consider thinking about it in another way a little bit broader way Because it has implications on everything that we've talked about so far in this podcast.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well and I think too I don't I think it's gonna be it's gonna be very, very hard to understand the scriptures if you're not prayerfully examining them. Like you need to be asking God to reveal it's his words and right. they're more than just what'd you say, jots and tittle or yeah. something. It's yeah. more than just ink on a page. Like the truth, it's alive and active, and so you you have to ask that truth to um, indwell you, Holy Spirit.
1: But yeah, the the scriptures. I think I'm saying this correctly. The scriptures are the knowledge by which the Holy Spirit influences our life. Yeah. Now I'm not saying me like reading the ink on a page. The truth of the scriptures in my heart is how the Holy Spirit sanctifies and transforms and convicts and guides. He, he does that on the basis of my soul being informed by the scriptures. Therefore, if my soul isn't informed by the truth of the scripture, it's... Less likely that I'm going to be sensitive to how the spirit leads. I I won't be able to, you know, I won't be able to hear the signal.
0: Well, and you and I were talking about this too, but I think that's so. I think that's why it's so important to to have an understanding of like some foundational uh, doctrine, for yeah. lack of a better term. Because then you, if you have a foundation like that that you can kind of stand on of. Um, what your worldview is and the different aspects of it, then you aren't so easily tossed to and fro um, with whatever idea seems most caring or loving or whatever. And in the end, in your empathy, you jump in the quicksand to give somebody a hug and you both sink. And it's like, that's a great analogy. Matt Rector helped me with it. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. He started it and then I put the little icing on the top. Shout out to Matt Rector for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it, e- e- Ephesians four, about um, growing up in all aspects, so that we're, you know, essentially this is this is the Paul Wilson paraphrase, you're not suckered into all the things that come down the pipeline as far as ideas and beliefs. And what is that growing up into all aspects of him that's increasing in your knowledge of who he is as informed by the word? So that's another push of mine right now, I is just like I'm pushing for this idea that prayer's more than bow my head, close my eyes, and work through my requests. It's this conversation. The scriptures are so much more than my 15-minutes where I open it up and I read it and then I read the book that goes with it, you know, the little devotional guide. Again, I'm I'm not critical of that. It's just that I don't know that it's it's all of it. Like I I have to wrestle with what is the message of these words that God has spoken. And it's not just a fix for the day. It's not like some little, you know, rub the four-leaf clover so you have a lucky day by reading your bible it's so much more than that i think that's where meditation comes in is i kind of fill my head with the words and then i spend the next month ruminating pushing it around trying to consider it from every angle so i can kind of draw out what is the abiding truth of that passage and all of its implications to my life i think i think that's the quest um i'd go so far as to say again just our moms listen to this so we're safe it won't be a broad influence um again i i understand the practice of reading the bible every day i'm not not anti that what i'm more interested in is wrestling with the truth of god's word and sometimes i read something that's so new and deep and full that it takes me weeks to kind of come to some sort of closure on it about what I understand. And so rather than, you know, have 25 thoughts that I'm wrestling with some, I, my mind works best on one big one. So I may wrestle with that one thought for weeks rather than feeling like I, Oh, that's, that's the critics calling what he
0: said, you don't read the Bible every day. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah. No, absolutely. And it reminded me of something that I have, like, different types of reading. So, like, I'll go in and I'll read just because I think that uh, just like the reading your Bible for 10, 15 minutes a day with your devotional, it serves one purpose. And then really uh, meditating and wrestling with something heavily serves one purpose. Right. Um, Like, I'll read narratively. I just want to hear the story. And so I'll read fast. Um, or I'll read where I really slow down, and I'm like, what is this saying exactly? Or I'll, yeah, at half the time, I'm not going out looking for that. I hit it, yeah, and then I can't really go forward because I, I have to make sense of it first. Um, well, I brought this up too, but like Israel means to wrestle with God, and so I think that's a really, really big part of what it means to be a Christian is to wrestle our way closer and closer to God. Um, yeah I was and think- get hurt I get hurt. <laughs> I was thinking the other day, why
1: do we assume that being a Christian and relating to God should be easy? We are talking about such a, a vast difference, human and divine.
0: What about that would be easy? Uh, I honestly, this is where my, cynicism comes in. I blame the church for caricaturing the relationship. Yes, I'll, I'll grant you that. So that's why I think we think it, we assume it's going to be easy because we're told it's supposed to be easy.
1: Yes, and I, I think that's where we're not telling them the truth. Oh, no, we're not. You know, like, um, physics is not easy. Um, from what I understand, organic chemistry is not easy. It's the 1B my friend Lance Henderson got right ever accounting there's there's levels of accounting when you're studying it's not easy (laughs) so this the pursuit of the god of the universe why should that just be a walk in the park i i think the wrestling imagery that you just referred to is is very apropos and then you look at hebrews and the apostle paul says um god rewards those who earnestly seek him meaning they put some effort into it they 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 dive in deep they they get all sweaty they're, they're they're earnestly trying to figure out how do i as a sinner and human being how do i relate and discover a relationship with the holy infinite god of the universe there's there's nothing easy about that Mm-mm but we portray it as easy because we, and I don't know why we do, we're trying to make it accessible, but I actually am becoming fascinated with the adventure and the challenge of it. It keeps it more engaging. Yeah. And I think certainly the older you get, just like we talked earlier, the longer you're with something, it can become boring. So I guess in some ways I'm, I'm looking to rethink it because I like the challenge of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of the problem is that we don't like we don't like admitting that we're sinners. <laughs> Surprisingly. Surprisingly. Even though we're all so quick to say we're sinners. Yes. Um but then for some reason all these other people aren't. Um but neither here nor there. Yeah. This is a good conversation. Again, we took on the right turn. Maybe a left turn. I was really kind of jumping around today, but you were. You know that's all right.
1: But that's the nature of conversation, at least with me. I just had lunch with a guy. I met him just two weeks ago. They've been coming to the church just for a couple months. I love to go out to lunch with people and hear their story, and mm. um, so it's essentially the first time I've ever sat down with him. It is the first time I ever sat down with him and had a meal. Um. And I said, I said, "Tell me your story. I, I know nothing about it. where'd you grow up. Tell me about your family. Where you been? What have you done?" And so he gets into it, and he's ticking off, kind of the first, well, the first twenty-five years of his life is where <laughs> he spent most of the time, and you know some things that it were very formative experiences in his life. And I was remarking how many similarities that his life paralleled to my life. Mm. And um, and so it is a, a very interesting conversation. And but at the end of the hour and a half that we were at lunch, we talked about fifty different things. Yeah. So I think that's the nature of a conversation. We're sitting down. We start at one place. And then the nature of conversation goes, oh, but what about this over here? And we're down a, a side yeah. side trail. And that's, I think, part of how we envisioned these conversations to be, just being honest and kind of following our head and heart about where the conversation takes us. And, and hopefully there's there's some people who find that beneficial.
0: Well, and like, here's the fact of the matter folks that kind of get frustrated with us jumping is that if it's going to be a genuine conversation, if we put, uh, if if it's outlined too far, it's all fabricated. Like it's, it's fake and it's very hard for, I've noticed that as soon as I move away from like following the thing, I just feel better. Like I can feel like a weight off of me. It just feels Mm -hmm. more natural because I'm actually thinking, you know, I'm not just saying words. Um, which is why I'm really glad that you never wanted me to be, like, the host, quote-unquote, because if I'm just sitting there trying to, like, you know, throw uh, pitches at you that you can just home run the entire time. Like lobs. Yeah, little lobs.
1: Yeah. Um, I would do it, but. Well, you know, I, I guess what I'm learning is there's different types of podcast. Yes. And there are. There's a boatload of podcasts that are very structured, very intentional. And while they may have sort of the banter of a live conversation, they're very structured, they're very um, disciplined. They're trying to pass on either a point of view or something educational in nature. So they're, they're exploring, you know, these five tips of leadership. Well, their intention is we're going to get through these five tips of leadership. It's a presentation. Anyway. It's a presentation. And again, no criticism of that. Lots and lots of them uh, that are very very successful. Just a different type. Yeah, we we wanted to do something different that was probably more reflective of our our friendship and and the things that interest us and so I guess at the end of the day uh our
0: listeners will decide if it's worth their time. Yeah. Well, and I think that people do enjoy... Because, I mean, they get a presentation from you, even though, like, you you try to make it feel more like a conversation. Like, you've always said, like, you try talking about your message as if you were out at lunch with somebody. Right. And, like, I think that you do a good job of that, but it's still a presentation at the end of the day. Yeah. And so um, I know you wanted to not have just another presentation to uh, prep for, but it also gets... Um for those of you who are just interested in hearing you talk, which is most of them um, <laughs> and they just get to deal with me it, It's a very different side of you um and it, and it's just a very different feel in general than um, than what would like if I told you everything I was gonna say, right you know, like I give you a rough outline and but then other than that, I bring my own thoughts, and most of the outline is your own notes, so yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: no. I, I I feel good about what we're creating, and certainly we can learn along the way and make adjustments as necessary, but at the end of the day, I think what we both wanted was, hey, let's talk honestly and openly about things of faith and their implications on our lives in contemporary society, and let's let the conversation go where it goes, and we, we make left turns sometime and end up in some good places. I, I felt like last, our last episode, depending on how you package it, we, we took a hard left turn, but we ended up in some really cool
0: places. And that's the fun of, a, of an adventure. It was a similar turn that we took today. We didn't go down as far, but um, that just tells me that the next podcast will probably just be about that stuff. So yeah, um, we obviously need to talk about it because we both we just keep on going there. We end up there one way or another, even whenever we're not talking about it. So, but yeah, no, I'm enjoying it, and um, I think it's good. I always look forward to them.
1: Well, thank you, sir, for hosting it and of course creating all the opportunity for us to do this. And I I look forward to these
0: conversations. Me too. Hope everybody else does. See you guys next week.